Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Verse 15, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven. And hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And notice this statement. Written here again, it says, And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And there it is again, the fourth time. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Notice what he said. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave... The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, the Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. It was his. He can do that. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to preach from that statement or teach from that statement that is repeated over and over again. And I know it's maybe an unusual way to approach this passage, but it says, I only am escaped alone to tell. I only am escaped alone to tell. This story of Job is something that we've all read and we've studied it up close. A lot of times when we're going through situations in our lives, we reflect upon this man, Job. We find encouragement from this book because this is a man that endured the greatest of all trials and came out from that trial triumphant. And the Lord blessed him in the end with more than he had when he came into the trial itself. But this particular story begins describing this man from the land of Oz. And it says that he was perfect. 
and upright. There's not too many people in Scripture, people, period, that you can make that kind of description and say that kind of thing about, that they are perfect and upright. One that feared God and eschewed, or that meant that he hated, he eschewed, he shunned evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. And then it goes into describing his substance. It says that he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke, or 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses. And then as if not to go on just giving relentless details, it says, and he had a very great household. And he was the greatest man of all of the East. I've studied about this and read theologians and what they've had to say about the East where Job came from. And they have said that this was an area that was known for rich people. This was an area that was known for people that had wealth. Yet of all of them that lived in the East Country, Job was the greatest of them all. So this was a man that the Lord had blessed. You could say it this way in giving a summation of Job's life. You can say that he had it together. He had it together socially. He had it together economically. He had it together physically. I mean, he was strong and healthy and he had a great family. And then he had it together, of course, and most of all, spiritually. But the Bible tells us that an unusual thing happened. It describes it this way. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Satan came also among them. It's almost like he slipped in with the rest of the sons of God, but his presence was almost automatically recognized, and the Lord spoke directly to Satan and said, From whence comest thou? And Satan answers him and says, From going to and fro in the earth. He said, I've been walking to and fro in the earth, and immediately knowing what that meant, knowing that he was actually searching so that he may destroy, so that he may devour, so that he may wreak havoc in somebody's life, looking for his next victim. The Lord makes a suggestion to him. He said, hast thou considered, I know what you're up to, I know what you're doing, I know that you're doing what you do best. And that is making trouble in the lives of God's saints. He said, have you considered my servant Job? And then he goes into what I would call a bragging session about Job and his life. He said, there is none like him. He is, again, perfect and upright. He feareth God. He eschews evil. And... After he gets done with this list of all of these great characteristics and attributes in the life of Job, 
Notice what Satan says. Satan says, doth Job fear God for not? In other words, does he have respect for you? Does he serve you? Does he live for you? Does he do the things that he does every day? He wakes up every morning. He gives sacrifices not only for himself but for his children. He worships the Lord first thing. But would he do this if you hadn't given him so many blessings? In other words, what he is implying here is, is because Job has it so good. That's why he lives for you the way he does. Because he is so blessed. He is raising doubt that Job serves God because of just a mere love and appreciation for God. But he is implying that he serves God because of things that he gains from doing it. And we know that there are fringe benefits in serving the Lord. Even the psalmist said, He daily loadeth me with benefits. But God is going to prove before this story is over that Job has more integrity than that. That Job's motivation runs deeper than that. That he has character that says that I will serve God and live for God regardless of the daily benefits. Regardless of what I get out of it as far as monetarily or even anything that I could receive from it in this life. I'm serving God because I love him and that's going to be proven in this story. And so the challenge is given. He said if I was to take everything away from Job. He would curse you. He wouldn't live for you. He wouldn't serve you. He wouldn't live as righteous as he's living now. He wouldn't wake up every morning and first thing give sacrifice to you. But rather he would curse you. And the Lord takes up the challenge with the exception, he says, you cannot touch him physically. You have to spare him physically. And so the Bible tells us in verse 13, and there was a day. And I think it's important that we note that everything that occurred here happened in a short span of time. Sometimes when we read through the book of Job and his trial, we can think all of these things that happened had to have happened over a period of months and maybe even years. But I want you to note how quickly life turned upside down for Job. And this should serve as a reminder to everybody that thinks they've got it together. Everybody that thinks that things will never change for them. That thinks they're on top of it and they've got control of it. And they pride themselves and and how that that things could never get too bad for them. All you have to do is examine closely the life of Job and you will quickly realize that without God's hand upon you, without God's protection, without God's grace in your life, everything can turn on a dime. This is the biggest fruit basket turnover written about in the Word of God right here in the first chapter of Job. And there was a day. And the Bible says, 
that the Sabaeans, they came and fell upon them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword and stole. The Bible says they stole both the oxen and the donkeys. And then while the servant uh, is telling him about it, he makes, of course, this statement, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And the Bible says that while he yet spake, there came another servant and informed him in verse 16 that fire had fallen from the heavens and had burned up the sheep and that the Chaldeans... Uh, also came and divided themselves in three bands and they destroyed the camels and each one of these situations servants were killed by the edge of the sword and after each one of these servants told them of what had happened they would say they would make the statement it's four times listed here I only am escaped alone to tell thee about it. And then in verse 18, the most horrible news at all, of all, I'm talking about after the sheep, after the camels, after the oxen, after fire had consumed all the barns and the fields, the servant comes and said that your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking in your eldest son's house. And a great wind, it was a mysterious thing, came from the four corners and rose up against that house that they were all gathered in and blew it asunder. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And all of this happened again in a day. And as I begin to look at this statement, and any time a statement like this reoccurs anytime a statement like this is spoken over and over again repeatedly in scripture there's a message in that statement there's something I don't believe that anything is accidental in the scripture I believe that every word in God's Bible is there for a purpose and there's something that is being emphasized in this story and trial of Job as each servant makes the same statement and I only am escaped alone to tell thee about it. This passage parallels John chapter 10 and verse 10. That the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If you look through this trial of Job, you see each one of those things accounted for in this trial. And they all happen in one day. Things were pillaged and stolen away. Things were destroyed by fire, and there were servants that were killed. But through it all, there emerged in every situation, in every point of this trial, it's as if the, the Bible is emphasizing this. The Lord is wanting us to grasp this, that at the end of it all, there was still someone that was able to emerge from it and give the testimony that everybody else may have perished, but I'm still here. And God kept me so that I could tell the story. God kept me through it all, and He's going to keep each one of us. And as I looked over this story today, I thought about this year. 
I thought about some of your lives. I thought about situations that you've went through and things that you've faced. And I just want to remind you that through all that you've faced, there's going to be folks that are listening to me tonight that are going to emerge from this trial and you're going to tell the story and you're going to say, I have escaped. God kept his hand upon me. God was with me. He never forsook me. He kept me through it all. I alone have escaped to tell thee. Amen. We see these very things unfolding. Amen. In this story. And I believe that there's going to be those that are going to escape to tell the story. Everybody wasn't destroyed. Everybody wasn't vanquished. I think that's an important detail. Everybody wasn't killed by the enemy. Everybody didn't go down. Can I tell you that hell's theme song in this hour, hell's theme song in 2020 is that everybody's doing. Everybody is failing. Everybody is compromising their convictions. You might as well. Everybody's giving up. You might as well. Everybody is falling to temptation. You might as well too. Everybody is, is giving up on their walk with God. You might as well too. Every young person is losing their virtue before marriage. Everyone is living and doing as they please and living in rebellion. Every family is falling apart. I want to say to you tonight that that is simply not the truth. But I remind you of this old story in the Scripture that there's going to be someone that's going to emerge and say not everybody's given up on serving God. Not everybody's given up on worshiping the Lord. Not everybody's given up on their convictions. Not everybody's throwing in the towel. Not everybody's walking out. Not everybody's succumbing to the pressure. Not everybody is giving in and stressing out and losing their mind. But there's going to be a church that is going to emerge from this triumphant. There's going to be a church that is going to conquer through it all. I was studying this throughout the day and, and I thought about I thought about a similar time and that was in the days of King Ahab and Jezebel his wife. This was a very dark, dark period in Israel. You talk about political conflict. You talk about upheaval. You talk about leading people into wickedness. These two uh, did a terrible job leading God's people into idolatry and and I, I guess most notably into worshiping Baal. And I, I don't know of anybody that has a worse reputation in the scripture than these two, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. They had influenced just about the entire nation of Israel and led them away into idolatry. Yet the Bible says, and I was reading it today in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17, and I love this. It says, and it came to pass that when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou 
he that troubleth Israel. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? In other words, there's one sore spot with me and Israel. Everybody else, and we know that that wasn't true, that was only really a figment of Ahab and Jezebel's imagination because there was many prophets that still had not bowed to Baal. And the Bible tells us about them. Obadiah was still serving God. And there were 400 prophets that still uh, had, not, had not bowed, had not given in, had not capitulated. But the Bible tells us that in the midst of all of this, he pointed out at Elijah, and this was the one person that got under his skin. This was the one person that he wished that he could turn this is the one person that he wished that he could get to capitulate. This is the one person that he wished that he could get to compromise. But Elijah stood up as a light in Israel. Elijah, while everybody else is, is caving in to Baal worship, while, while the majority is going the way that they're being led into idolatry, there's one man that says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to swim upstream. I'm going to fight against the tide. I'm going to do whatever is necessary. But I I am not going to bow to Baal. I'll be the one lone person that will trouble the king and that will trouble his wife and I'll stand up against it no matter what everybody else is doing. Are you, are you he that troubleth Israel? And then just a few chapters later in 1 King chapter 21 the Bible says that while he was looking out and surveying his property around the palace, that Ahab looked and saw a vineyard that was hard against the palace property. And he realized that it was not a part of his kingdom and what he as king owned. And he began to inquire whose it was, and someone notified him that it was Naboth's. And so he called for Naboth. And he said, Naboth, he said, let me, because of where it's positioned, it's hard against my palace, let me pay you for this vineyard. I'll even give you more than fair market price for it. And I'll give you a better vineyard. And you, you, can, you can live and partake and have a better place, a better, even bigger vineyard than this. But what he didn't realize as this was a heritage that had been passed down to Naboth. Notice it says that it was a heritage that was given to him. This was something that was more than just uh, a piece of land that had passed generationally to him, but this had meaning to him, in other words. So much so that he said, I'm not going to sell it for any price. It doesn't matter what you offer me. Oh, thank God for people that don't have a sale sign attached to their convictions. Don't have a for sale sign attached to their commitment to God. Don't have a for sale sign attached to their relationship with the Lord. But, you know, and in my life, and I know in yours, we've driven up and down highways and saw cars and tractors and different implements placed out in the front yards of home along the highway with a for sale sign on them. And sometimes on that for sale sign you'll see OBO, 
or best offer that means. In other words, I'm going to sell this object and whatever the best price I can get is what I'm willing to sell it for. I'm glad that they're saints of God, even in 2020, even with everything that we've been through this year, that you, you don't have a for sale sign on your heart. You don't have OBO written across your, your soul saying, or best offer, devil, whatever I can get out of it, then I'll take the best offer that comes along. Oh, no. We made a commitment a long time ago on a Pentecostal altar. We sold out to God, and there's nothing that could be given to us. No pleasure, no temptation, no sin, no nothing that the enemy has to offer is going to cause any one of us to give up our convictions and our commitment to God. And so Naboth simply said, no, no offer. Nothing is going to dissuade me. Here was a man that had, even his wife told him, said, you govern the whole kingdom. You, you've got it all. And this man was so asphyxiated on something, one thing over here that he didn't have in his possession. Isn't that just like the devil? People that have so much, he'll point out the one thing that perhaps they don't have. People that have so much going for them, living for God, serving the Lord. God has blessed them, kept them. Their lives have improved since they've been serving Him immeasurably. They can't even really take proper inventory of all that God has done for them in their life. You think about it, where God brought you from, where you are now versus where you were some of us, when we came to God, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. But God has blessed us. We have a nice home. We have good cars. We have dependable jobs. All of those things. And if we're not, if we're not extremely careful, we'll allow the devil to point out one thing that we don't have and say, why is it that you don't have that? And become focused on that one thing and allow that one thing. Isn't it, isn't it just like the enemy, to paint that one thing and dress that one thing up and cause you to give up so much. She said, you've got the whole kingdom, but this one thing you don't, you don't have. Don't worry, I'll get it for you. And he did one of the most despicable things that you can read about in the Scripture. She did one of the most despicable things that you can read about in the Word of God in order to fulfill the desire just for one little thing that he didn't have. The devil causes people to really do things that seem so unreasonable, that seem almost insane because of one sin, one thing, one little area. Amen. Can I tell you, that there's going to be Nabals in this hour that are going to stand up and say, I refuse. I refuse the devil's offer. I refuse to go that route. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12 says this, And because iniquity shall abound. This is speaking of the last days, the end time that you and I are living in right now. The love of many shall wax cold. We often talk about that many. That's the majority. Look at there. 
That's, that's, that's just about everybody. But many is not all. Many is not everybody. In fact, if I can make it more personal, many is not me. Many is not you. Our heart is not waxing cold. Our love for God is not waxing cold. Our relationship with God is not, not losing its zeal. It's not losing its edge. It's not losing its passion. But I tend to believe that there's people that are growing hotter for God. They're growing more intense for God. They're growing more hungry for God. They're growing more thirsty for God because it's not everybody. It may be many, but not everybody's going to lose out. Not everybody's going to turn coat and walk away. Not everybody is going to be backslidden. When the Lord comes, the Bible says that He's coming back for a church that is triumphant. He's coming back for a church that is ready and prepared, that is adorned to meet Him. I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter number 6 and verse 6 says, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. You feel the emotion in that? And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast. Notice how sweeping this judgment was to be. And creeping thing. This is to emphasize again the grief that man in its wickedness had brought upon God and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. And I suppose that would have been a sad ending if it had just ended right there and there had not been another verse to read. But verse 8 begins, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's always one that's going to emerge to tell the story. There's always someone or maybe even more than just one, but there's always at least one that is going to stand up and they're going to be counted on the side of righteousness. Can I preach to you as the musicians come that the devil has targeted some folks I know and tried to destroy your faith, tried his very level best to steal your joy, to kill your hope, to take away your peace. Because of circumstances, because of situations in life, to make you bitter. To make you question God. Say, why me? How come? Why is this happening? Why is this taking place? I don't understand. Why would God allow such a thing to happen? Why would it happen as it has? Why would, this, why would this take place? But I want to encourage somebody in the Holy Ghost. You can be just like these servants. While others may falter. While some may fall by the wayside. While some's faith may wane and may even in some cases be destroyed. I believe there's going to be some just like the servants of Job. They're going to say... I alone will escape 
to tell thee. I'm going to tell the story of how God brought me out. I'm going to stay with it. And I'm going to tell the story of how he healed. And I'm going to tell the story of how he strengthened and how he restored and how he bring peace in the midst of the situation and how that he is able to answer prayer and that he still takes care of his people. I alone have escaped to tell thee. I hope you've been blessed by the word of the Lord tonight. They're going to begin singing. But let's let this resonate in our hearts tonight.